0: Welcome, everybody. This is Unqualified. I'm your host, G, along with here... Ah, fuck me. <laughs> I do think... Like, yeah, like, host with my host. Um, all right.
1: Don't think, dude. Just do. Don't, <laughs> Don't think. Just do. Okay? Like, that's the you're name my, of the game here. Don't my, think. Just do. You're
0: my podcast Yoda. Just (laughs) do There is no try Alright Three lights Four lights
1: Five laps Pause Go, go, go He has been told to come in Lap after lap after lap And what does he do?
0: He ignores them A committee meeting about it Stick it on and send him out Just
1: get it through the bus stop chicane, George Try and straight line it Get to the line and we'll see what happens
0: Harris tries to cut off Hamilton And goes straight on. This is quite appalling. This is the worst start for a free that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. What is going on here in Jenna tonight? tonight Welcome, everybody. This is Unqualified. I'm G, here with my fearless co-host, Graham. Uh, Graham, we are, uh I think, just a couple days behind schedule here. Uh, to all those that still uh, dialed in, we appreciate what day? it. What day is it today, today, Drew? Um, It's almost the start of practice for Barcelona. T-plus two weeks from the end of uh, the Miami Grand Prix. And and look, everybody, we we made no promises that this was going to be the most professional and flawless uh, show out there. I mean, we let you know straight up front, we are unqualified to be doing this. And uh, we tried some new technology this last week, and... um, you know it didn't work out, so we we made it we recorded a whole episode uh only to have the audio files lost, so we're here for round two a bit of deja vu
1: did um did we try new technology
0: i, I mean it's was, a, it, it's was a, a, it a we it's a colloquial we yeah yeah,
1: and by colloquial we mean we we mean we mean you
0: i, I mean yeah if we're gonna if we're gonna get specific here i guess yes, it was me.
1: <clears throat> if, if if anyone is wondering why Gerald sounds like a mouse yelling from the corner of the room right now uh, on this episode, it's because he's talking through his AirPods because he's as technologically challenged as an 85-year-old uh, stage 2 diabetic. <laughs> Are
0: the diabetics particularly <laughs> challenged by technology?
1: I don't know why diabetes is on my mind. <laughs> uh, what do you want to... Gerald, what do you want to talk... We're, look, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. We're point, here. What, 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 are are we, what are, do you want to talk what about?
0: What are we doing here? Um,
1: tell me what Tell me what to talk about, Gerald.
0: I mean, I think more than anything, we had to talk about the, the big news. You know, we couldn't let this episode pass without giving Graham the opportunity to, to show off for all of you the fact that he was, in fact, at the Miami GP. So... Um, Graham, this you know we're proud of you. This was the first live visit from a member of the Racing unqualified team. Look, I, I, I'm curious to get your views again on how the the race was because as we know, I was very much a skeptic of Miami, the scene, the, the fabricated marina, um, you know, and all of the excess that surrounded the race. but curious what what was it like on the ground? What was your take?
1: So you're one of these like European race purists? Is that what I'm gathering?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm. I'm against the the excess of the show. I'm against the sprint race. I want pure qualifying. Yeah, 100%. You
1: want focaccia and sparkling water at the concession stand?
0: <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm not sold on the focaccia, but um, the water is fine. Yeah.
1: All right. So, so here, here's here's the thing. Friday before the race, which was about a month ago, I guess at this point, <laughs> uh, I I got a uh, a text from my brother, and he was already in Miami, and had tickets to like two of the sessions, but didn't have tickets to Sunday. But he was staying at the Hard Rock Hotel, which is like kind of that new development, um, the big casino the whole thing, right near the track, and he sent me a text on Friday and he was like, I mean, basically it was kind of one of those, like, you got hair on your peaches or what, you know, type was moments. throwing down and, on you. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I don't like, uh, I don't like a challenge, you know, I don't like to be challenged like that. And, uh, you know, what is brotherhood other than just a perpetual dick measuring competition? Absolutely. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, it's funny. So we have these things for those of you that don't work and, a corporate environment and aren't just total corporate sellouts like Gerald and I, we have these things at our company called skip levels, which basically means that you are sitting down with somebody way more important and more well compensated than you at the company for 30 minutes. And they pretend to sit there and listen like they care about what you think about anything at the company uh, because HR told them they had to. And so <laughs> I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting in, a, in, in this skip level with my superior uh, when that text came in from my brother and while we were supposed to be talking about work, I basically sent him a text or I, I told him, I was like, hey, I just got this text from my brother. He wants me to fly down to the Miami Grand Prix on Sunday morning and fly out Sunday night and just like go for it. And he just looked at me and he was like, what are you, stupid? Like buy the plane, buy the damn plane ticket. And so then for the rest of our skip level, we just basically debated how mad or not mad my girlfriend would be for me to alter the plans that we had had that weekend by a by basically buying the ticket and just kind of going. So I did it. And I flew down Sunday morning from Philly to Fort Lauderdale for 150 bucks Round trip. Thanks, Spirit Airlines. And rolled up with an, an Uber to the Hard Rock Hotel. Went to the track at 11. Had one of the best sporting days of my life. I'll get into the details. And flew out 9 o'clock that night. Worked the
0: next morning. So what, so your brother was just going down there for the first couple of sessions. And then, so you weren't interested in that? Like why, why the change from, you know, he,
1: he, he communicated a willingness to pony up and buy a race day ticket. And we knew what it was going to cost us. Like it wasn't going to be cheap, but we just kind of were like, look, if I can get down there for a reasonable cost, like we'll go. So he, he kind of was like the first one to say, I'll pay it. And then I was like, all right, if I can get down there for like, without giving my arm away for the flight, I'll do it. You know, because it's kind of one of those just like, screw it moments. Like, I got no wife. I got no kids. I, I, you know, I'm not a particularly charitable person. I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, you got no dependencies. You got a good job. Like, you just got to take advantage of that while you got it. So we went for it. But look, I got to say, we'll get into the details. But my overall observation America fully embraced what its persona should be in hosting a Formula One race in Miami. People can make fun of the fake marina. They can make fun of just like all the glitz and glamour, the prices, the celebrities, like whatever. Like that was our best version of sports fandom and like what we bring to Formula One on full display. Like it or hate it. It was that. And I don't think I can really criticize it because of that. And I had a blast. I mean, look, I've been to... Oh, man, I've been to national championship games. I've been to the Masters. I've been to the U.S. Open. I've been to um, uh, pretty big NFL games. Um, I've been to a lot of big sporting events in my life. This this was... I've not been to a spectacle quite like that in terms of just the total experience. It's like if you took a beer festival and a con- and a music festival... And a food festival, and like one of the biggest sporting events you've ever seen, just shoved them into the same venue. It was unbelievable.
0: What were some of the most? So, so first off, I think we'll we, we're starting to develop quite a, uh, a a calendar here for ourselves of of checking out some different races throughout the season. So it'll honestly be interesting to to contrast because yeah. this was your first race ever, right? So you don't really have the context of yeah. how good other events are, and the fact that other ones also feature concert tickets as well and i'm i'm sure they don't lack food options also um so we'll have to see what what others were like but in your mind like what stood out as the most unique intriguing exciting part of the 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 non-race aspects of the weekend
1: yeah honestly man it was just the amount that they invested in fan experience so like you obviously had food and concerts and everything else but i mean it was at a level where like you'd be walking around the venue you'd make a wrong turn and all of a sudden you would be at a tiesto concert and you don't even know how you got there. And people are ripping their shirts off and throwing like paint on each other. It, and then you like go left and get a hot dog. Like it was, it, you know, like it was wild. Um, they had this little like pit crew station where like teams were putting gloves on and racing each other. How long it take them to put on, like take on a tire, take off a tire and put on a tire. Uh, I, you know, nobody was under two and a half seconds. I can, I can assure you of <laughs> that. It was like, like, a, we walked up, there was like, it was like a youth group versus like, a like four moms. <laughs> and it was like, you know, kid almost got crushed trying to take the tire off. Um,
0: so, so I had to ask. So, all right. So there's cool stuff in the periphery. Um, all the food that you had mentioned from like sushi to Korean barbecue, which, you know, I think they forgot they were on the Atlantic Ocean rather than the Pacific Ocean, but on food did I, selection,
1: did I tell you that I had sushi and Korean barbecue? I
0: think you did. How do you know? Po- yeah, we. I think we covered this quite thoroughly in the last the last iteration. Did we,
1: we covered this in the, <laughs> yeah. the yeah, okay.
0: Were you? Now I know you just bought the peasant ticket, um, but were you exposed to any of the like contrived fake marina or like? Did it seem? Did it seem like superficial and fake at all in terms of like? No how it was set no. up No,
1: it no it was and and i get why that that was like the twitter audience's impression was like oh you gotta have a fake arena because you're not near the water and you can't actually have real class dude when you were on the ground you didn't question like the level of class in at all like you you didn't walk around that place thinking like this is a trashy thrown together like little like pot like you know this isn't like a little like pop-up home where the walls and appliances and countertops are cheap and it's going to fall apart in five years. Like, the level of, in all seriousness, the level of engineering and the level of structure that they were able to build in, you know, in a temporary context that all was going to be ripped down was super impressive and it did not feel cheap. And even the fake Marina Man, like, yeah, I stepped up and I touched the fake water, but, like, it kind of became a parody of itself and it was kind of cool. Uh, and, and, and like you say what you want about the fake water, but the area around it was, was amazing. There were like sweets everywhere. There was like really good food. It was at a really cool kind of turn in the track. Like it wasn't gimmicky at all. You didn't have like kids throwing up and, you know, lollipops laying. It wasn't like trashy at all. It was like really clean, um, and a cool spot and the boats, like they were legit like super yachts parked inside of that fake water it was not like they were not messing around I I I think it got a bad reputation on Twitter
0: well if if anyone can appreciate a facade of superficiality masking little more than an empty parking lot it it would be you so um
1: (laughs) Ah, you've been thinking about that joke a little too long delivery could have been sharper I've been
0: thinking about it for about two weeks
1: I didn't sting. I didn't sting me no. like it should have.
0: I think the first time no. I said it, it might have stung a bit more. That's that's fair. Um. Can,
1: can, can I give you my 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 overall observation from the weekend though? Yeah. Is just a general sense that I think Europeans think that we're stealing their sport, and um, you know what? I think we are. And you know what? I got to say that. I got to say. Well then, step up your game. Everybody I saw on Twitter. I'm talking to you, Matt Gallagher were just poo-pooing everything they could, every chance they could, about the Miami race, on-track action, off-track action, and it was just like this categorical denial of the legitimacy of anything that could have come from an American, like, from a new American race. And I'm sure they're going to do the same thing in Las Vegas. And I'm not here for it, because to that I say, do you like making money? Like, do you like a sport becoming literally like a complete global icon? This is, like, what America brings to sports. It is, like, the other level. It's the gasoline, man. It's the it's the freaking money and the status. And I don't think we're going to rip all the tradition out of F1 in the process. So get over it. Like, stop. Like, don't come at me with your I've been in this sport 25 years bullshit. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not here for it. Like, welcome to the future. Like, seriously. get, get Like, get on or get run over is kind of my philosophy.
0: Well, I think I'm... I'm probably more critical of us than I am of other places, right? Because I think my biggest complaint is people flocking purely for the event, right? And to go because, oh, well, this is the first one in Miami and I need to like be at this this thing just to be there and to like fuel my social media, right? Versus I think the appreciation for the sport but frankly, that probably happens everywhere, right? I'm sure there's plenty of people at every track who are just going there because it's a hot thing to go to and don't know anything about the sport. And look, I'm no expert on the sport, haven't been like watching for 20 years either. um, But I feel like we've gotten real deep, real quick in terms of like the appreciation for all of the nuances. And so, you know, it's interesting. I think you're right in the fact that it's going to bring a huge new audience to it. And I think even if only 10 15% of the people that were in like actually went to the event there or interested in it as a result of all of the publicity that came about like that's still a win because a fraction of those people are going to become like true deep genuine fans and the other people are going to have gone and forget all about it and and not look back you know the next time around and so i think that's my worry is you just get so many people who i think you've already seen it with drive to survive and just, like, fueling this, like, I guess less genuine interest in the sport. You get the whole, like, cult of personalities even more, and so I hope it just doesn't overly saturate, like, the fandom with the ignorant fandom following purely because it's the the hot new thing. I think that's, uh,
1: yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I think that's a little bit, uh, A little bit paranoid. Like I think the American fan base has got a learning curve to come up, but also you need the rich, uninformed idiots in the under the tent. Otherwise, how are you going to pay for everything? Every sport has them, right? Every sport. Look at Williams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, you know, I I I hear Europeans complaining about it, and then on the other side of the coin, they're like, "Oh, but the new F one app is." is great, and I love the streaming experience. I don't want to listen to Sky. Those guys are trash. I'll listen to, like, and watch all the feeds on the F1 app. And I'm like, who the hell do you think is paying all of this new money to build out a digital experience on the F1 app? Like, the American media company with, like, a massive influx of cash to improve the digital presence of the sport. Like, it, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, buddy. This is a package deal. So, like, again, get on board, get run over. Like this is this 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 is this thing is out of the box and we're not putting it back in.
0: Well, and to so, your point, it's anyway. um, you know I'm not sure that we can take take the Europeans' perspective with a ton of credibility until they stop wearing capris in Miami in the freaking early summer. Dude,
1: it was hot as a, a witch's tit. It was so hot, and I was you know I've been you were been sweating even in your short drowning. shorts, huh? Well, you know, I've been just obviously working on my tan in forty degree May weather in Philly with it raining every effing weekend, so I haven't even seen the sun in like a year. And I show up to Miami, it's like ninety five degrees, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is insane! I'm sweating my balls off, and you've got you know, freaking uh, all these Italians walking around in like tight ass jeans. And I'm in like cotton shirts. And I'm like, you guys are psychos. Like I do not understand.
0: I think the thing that I think the thing that also pissed me off about the whole thing was just like sitting here and observing all of like the pre-weekend hype. It was just over the top, I felt like. Like yeah, every the single events. like like it's great, like other weekends you'll hear see features of like what people are doing. But I feel like every driver was at like three events in like the week leading up. You had to see all of that. You had to see drivers just doing like absurd things rather than just like, it was like they had to be parodies of themselves for the marketing rather than like, can we just be genuine about it? And if people do not get bought in, right? Like I don't need to see Lando Norris in a crop top with James Corden to like get me excited about the weekend. Like that's where I think you just, you go too far. Like, fine. Have your fake Marina, try to sell your yachts. But like, can we maintain a, like some level of like decency and like professionalism? And that's where it went off the rails a bit for me.
1: Yeah, I mean the media stuff, but that's all. That's a lot of that's team driven. So everybody's trying to become the darling team of the U.S., right? And they all just, they all, they all just don't understand they've already lost to Haas, right? So like, it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I, I feel like they've already lost to McLaren, and yet McLaren yeah, doesn't agreed. realize that they've already won. It's like they're so over eager, and you're like, guys, I, people like Danny Rick, like people love, like you guys are good.
1: Right, it's too bad he's going to be in any car next year. But anyway, uh, <laughs> well,
0: well, the last thing I had to talk to you about was no. was prices. So people on the ground, you, you said we, we won't we won't publicly shame you for the amount you paid for an entry ticket. But I do know that what hat I think you paid you would have paid more for a hat than it took you to fly the what eight hundred odd miles from Philly to to Miami.
1: No. Dude, I'll say it. I paid $1,000 for that Grand Prix ticket. I got no regrets. None. Just a frame for people how... And I'm not made of money. Just a frame for people how much enjoyment I got out of that single day. It was absolutely worth it. I did not buy a $120 hat. I didn't. That's, that's where you draw uh, the line. Can, can I quickly circle back, though, I, to the McLaren comment about the U.S.? Yeah. Zach Brown has an opportunity. He he is right now... If, if McLaren and the U.S. fan base are in a relationship... He's gotten to third base and, like, maybe about to meet the parents.
0: Really? You think it's that far along? a lot? It's that serious?
1: If he gets Colton Hurta in that car, he's definitely put a ring on it. Wow. He can close that deal, dude. Like, he can, if he would, and they've got him as a, they signed him as a test driver, he just won what, like two. He had that crazy race in the rain in IndyCar. I'm following IndyCar now. I'm like,
0: you're what? all in. I'm like,
1: because I'm I'm, I'm interested. Is like, is Colton Hurt a stock going to rise? I want him in Formula One. So I'm like, follow him in IndyCar, and he won last weekend And wherever the hell they were in the rain. It was a crazy race. Um, yeah, dude, he can seal the deal with the American fan base. Well, it's Colts
0: interesting. He's him. also been more supportive of like the the whole Andretti intro into the sport as well. It seems rather than big you time. Know, others like like mercedes and so it definitely seems to be a bit more of a bit a bridge builder in that sense so
1: do you have you heard the latest i mean we're just mousing around topics so i think this is great have you heard the latest on um yeah structure be damn rumors? this shit's
0: a week and a half late who gives a fuck
1: <laughs> yeah
0: I, nobody's listening I, we'll get to, to this point this is just me and you <laughs> talking shit
1: we'll get to the race recap but i I, I am curious what you what you've heard on andretti
0: Um. I mean, honestly, I I for the last week haven't been haven't been following too so closely. I think I was just in such a state of shame for having having dropped the ball on the on the technology transition um, that uh, you know I've I've just needed I needed to step away for a week, Graham. So what?
1: So it's a team decision, right? It's whether the teams are supportive of him because yeah, what's like on a the table is
0: it's a collective decision as to whether or not they want to introduce someone else, right? They're all part, right? You know equal ownership in this, in this venture. And then you'd have a new party coming in to potentially dilute. And so you have the considerations of what is the net value add of bringing in this entity? Is this really the thing that brings America even further into the sport? And like, frankly, I'm kind of of the camp that like, sure. Great. Like my, my uncle was actually um, a member of a pit crew in cart for like an Andretti and Fettipaldi um, Newman Haas race team. Um, And so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm fully supportive of them as like an entity coming in, but I can totally see the side of of Mercedes of like, what is really the value add? We're making a huge concerted push into the states now. Do we really need another team? Um, And and also from the race perspective, I wonder. You know, you'll hear Brundle a lot push for, you know, and and harken back to earlier days where, you know, cars, you know, there was 24 cars on the grid. Etc. But you just see such issues already in practice, or and especially in qualifying, given the number of cars on track. That and and, and as well as issues with lower end teams and the performance issues of do they create a crash that dramatically changes the, like the nature of the race? I worry about the effectiveness of a new, brand new entity coming in from scratch and being able to one have any kind of like decent level of performance and how that impacts like the the weekend as a whole and the ability of the teams like maximize the time. So I, I'm a bit of a skeptic as well, but curious what, what your views are.
1: All right. So to summarize, Andretti last year proposed buying Salba, which is off Romeo. That couldn't make the economics of the deal. work. Not going to happen now. So that fell out. What?
0: I said that. And that's probably not going to happen now. I mean, arguably you could have argued oh, that yeah. where they're sitting at the bottom of the grid, but all of a sudden you're talking about a top three or four team. Yeah.
1: All right, so Andretti's absolutely keen. Buying Salva didn't go, so now he's trying to become the 11th team, which would essentially mean that now you have 22 cars on the grid. But to your point, becoming an 11th team means that the share of total revenue for all the remaining teams is somewhat diluted, unless you believe the size of the total pie is going to grow in a way that makes you better off, even with an additional team. And your point is, could we even support 22 cars on the grid on certain tracks? Look, my response to that is like if you can't support 22 cars on the grid, you probably shouldn't be on the F1 calendar now. Looking at you Monaco. I don't I, I don't see how like even in F1 history, there have been plenty of examples of 24 cars, 26 cars back in the day they didn't even have the same number of teams show up every goddamn weekend. And so it oscillated. Uh, so I I don't really see much concern. I think the financials are what they are, right? If the financials don't work out, then the teams don't vote for it. Clearly, Toto is skeptical. But, I mean, what I could tell from the Miami press was that Andretti was putting on a full-court press, and it seemed like he was going after the team principals
0: primarily. So they're, they're your decision makers, right? And so, point taken, should be able to make the number of cars work. Like I, I think you can get all around that. I, I'm interested as to whether or not a, a brand-new team can really come in at this point. Like, I think w- when you look at prior generations, there was a lot more teams that were either like they were the family team, like Williams, or it felt like the barrier to entry from a, a process infrastructure standpoint was so much smaller. Whereas now, I mean, you're going up against teams, even though the teams at the back of the grid have so much expertise in terms of managing the process now and the development and and the data, et cetera, on and on and on. That it it might just be too steep of a of a hill for a new team to climb, unless they're somehow able to capture so much talent from from existing teams, right? And now you're talking about salaries and money to like really incentivize those people to come over, right? Red Bull being able to capture a lot of talent from Mercedes in a year where they're challenging. For the championship is one thing, but to have a brand new startup operation build from the ground up, it just might be too high of a, of a hill to climb, especially when you're talking to people where, you know, if you have more expertise in an IndyCar space where you're talking about more or less standard vehicles, you don't nearly have the, the research, the development, the, the continuous improvement infrastructure, um, as the existing team. So, so yeah, let's say you can make the financials work. Let's say you can make sort of the 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 weekend work. Are they even going to be remotely competitive? And if not, then like why have them, right? And I, I just don't know how you guarantee that. And so I don't know how high that how high that barrier to entry really is these days.
1: Gerald, an Austrian energy energy drink company is the fastest car on the grid. I don't know why we think an American owned motorsports icon can't become competitive in formula one. I don't disagree that the size and scale and complexity of the sport today is significantly greater than it was 10 years ago. And that that's a higher barrier to entry. But I think it's a bold statement to say that it's not
0: possible. I mean, I think they can do it. They can enter. I I just wonder, has the sport, Moved past, you know, moved beyond in terms of the the level of like professionalism, where that door is really open for a new team to come in.
1: I mean, if anything, the parity they're trying to create in the regulations are working for you, not against you. You know, Um, cost cap especially. So, I think Andretti will have to have the right engine supplier. It sounds like they've got a deal already done with Renault behind the scenes. Um. And yeah, I mean, look, you poach a couple good aerodynamics and I mean, I agree. There's probably not a lot of intellectual property transferable from IndyCar. So, you know, they're probably not going to be at the front of the grid in the near term if they make it on, but I mean, you got to believe that over time they 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 at least got a shot. I mean,
0: are you in? You're all in on uh Team Andretti?
1: I'm not I'm not ready to say that. Um but I'm definitely in support of them being in the sport. And I think I think if he did it, he would put one, maybe even two, American drivers in the seat. Um which would be exciting. So
0: yeah, that's an it that's another interesting thing. I, I feel like the the blind commitment to putting an American driver in the seat. Like that that admittedly is another risk. While I would love to see an American driver join. You can't deny the the process of the way different drivers have been brought along through the the European sort of karting culture. I mean, you look at these Logan, guys who've come along.
1: Come on, Logan Sargent is just as qualified to be an F one as Nicholas Latifi, and he is upper <laughs> oh, middle yes. of the pack and upper middle of the pack in F two at best.
0: I I don't think. Admittedly, while well, I hear your point, I don't think Latifi is the benchmark by which we should be measuring potential new entries. But he's, on the grid. He's yeah, on the grid, and, and we argue every week that he shouldn't be. So,
1: all right, fair enough. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> did I, wow, maybe I enough. Did I actually win one? Wow. Hey, Colton Herta. Colton
1: Herta is. <laughs> I'm never going to admit that. Colton Herta <laughs> is definitely the most qualified American to be in Formula one. Alexander Rossi, maybe second. Logan Sargent, probably third. I don't know. That's, that's probably your top three.
0: I would agree. I, I, look, I'd love an American team. Would love an American driver. I would just, I would hate the image of the shitty American team with the shitty American driver pulling up the back of the grid, right? And, and almost necessarily that would have, have to happen out of the gate. But I don't know that I would force the issue of hiring the less than qualified driver to join my team just to create like the all American brand. Do you have the one? Do you have your, yeah, your, your token American driver? Sure. But what I would really like to see is hopefully the growing prominence of the sport in America leads to more young drivers starting earlier and following the journey that, you know, the likes of Checo Perez and so many other drivers have followed to, to truly get into the process. So now that might be a slower, longer process, but I think that's ultimately what's going to get you a good driver pulling pulling somebody who's not going to maintain pace to join a team who's already struggling. I, I don't know. It, it, it just America loves a winner and we are very fickle fans and I don't know that the fans will stick around long enough to to see this, you know, miraculous, you know, this gradual development journey take place.
1: I think you're being way too rational about this. You think everyone's America- going to ju- Why is nobody supporting Haas? You know, because they're not an American team.
0: What makes them not American?
1: The fact that they literally were the embodiment of the Russian flag in their livery last year.
0: (laughs) I mean, you could argue that's red, white, and blue. American. Also,
1: the fact that they've never had an American driver. They literally told Alexander Rossi when they were evaluating him versus Roman Grosjean in 2018 as test drivers. That they didn't believe any American drivers anywhere in the developmental leagues had the prowess to join. And instead, they decided to put a guy in the in car that is now getting beat by Alexander Rossi in IndyCar and decided to put his car into the wall and rip it in half two years ago. So, like, I, it, there's a bias at play. And I think that Haas wears that on their sleeve. And I don't hold it against Gunther Steiner. I love Gunther Steiner. Gene Haas is arguably a worse GM than the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders, who has the most effed-up haircut I've ever seen in my life and is just an offense to sports ownership everywhere. I don't know why they give me similar vibes, but they do. I don't remember that guy's name. But
0: <laughs> I... I mean, to be fair, they made the move to Vegas, though, and and dude, that's probably going to be a boondoggle for them. So I i think yeah, it's probably an insult to them to to say that they're in the same league as Haas. But it sounds like you're you're pretty much in the camp of, like, Haas really... Haas could have been the American team, and they 100% dropped the ball on... I mean, they had yeah, rich energy. They made a worthy attempt at
1: it. <laughs> Dude, okay, no. Haas never made an, even remotely an attempt to become America's darling. Getting in bed with Yurikali was the death kiss. Kiss of yeah. death. They never made a successful attempt before that. Had they been smart, they would have gone after Alexander Rossi earlier in their tenure in F1 and then brought on some American sponsors. Haas was probably three to four years too early. Had Haas come onto the scene... About 2018, when Drive to Survive hit, there's no telling where they would be right now. But I think they just kind of... Unfortunate timing for them. But, dude, my whole whole thesis about the American team entry thing is this. Yes, American love's a winner, but what does America love more than a winner? America. uh, well, (laughs) Well, yes. But also, dude, an underdog story. I mean, if you put an American driver two American drivers on an Andretti team and they're scrapping and clawing for their first two or three three years in F1 and then just by a stroke, like the hand of God, they get on the podium in Austin. Those people would rip those bleachers apart. Of every big football game that I've ever been to as a college football fan and a very loyal Clemson Tiger, the, the, the largest pandemonium that you experience as a fan is always, 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 when you were not expecting to win. Every time. 100%. When you walk in and you know you're the OG, it's a different type of celebration, and it's not the same. When you you had to claw your freaking way out of that freaking pit, and you got something that you didn't deserve, that is like American sports, in my mind. All right, I'm done.
0: Which is fair, right? That underdog in the hometown. Did I win? Defeating oh, did did the, I the win? Institution? No, 100% not. <laughs> um, look, I think you're just holding out for this very optimistic edge case that in the instance that it happened, yes, it would be a storied tale that would be told for generations. You know, it'd be the miracle on asphalt. Yes, I grant you that. I, I just think the probability in this case is so slight that that would happen, that I I wouldn't base my, my prognostication or my determination of whether or not this would make sense based on that. I think it is such a steep hill, especially when you're picking people who wouldn't necessarily be the top choice on any other team. I think you saw drivers like Leclerc and Verstappen do so tremendously well because they were generational talents for the sport. The people that you're talking about, whilst they might be good, they might be top tier in what they're doing now, I don't think they are sort of that generational talent who is going to sort of lead this, this underdog race, even if it's in the rain, to somehow dethrone not just one, not just two, but ten existing teams. Uh, well, maybe a couple teams in there they could dethrone. Like, let's be honest.
1: Let me ask you this. Would you rather have a bad American driver – on a highly competitive team or a very good American driver on an
0: uncompetitive team? Um, I would, I mean, I would probably rather have a good American driver on an unremarkable team with the exactly. idea that, but I don't think we have the remarkable American driver is my point.
1: We have not ever given ourselves a chance to know.
0: But when you look at the remarkable drivers that came into the sport in the last five years, the remarkable drivers were typically remarkable in what they had done previously. And while good, I don't know that there's an American driver right now who has done anything that you look at and say, this is truly remarkable. This person needs to be in the sport. They would be there. Like, let's be honest, these teams, are, these teams are about winning. If there was an American, it's not like there's this inherent American discrimination that like they're just keeping the great American drivers at bay. There has to be a fundamental belief that they are not as good as, as what they have today.
1: It's, it's a bit analogous with, with, with developmental leagues in European soccer. I think over time, I don't think there's anything about like the American crop of talent that makes us fundamentally less able to be fast at driving. I think it's just about access to developmentally.
0: 100%. And that's what I guess my point is. I hope that that developmental, I hope that by the interest both from parents and their children in the sport, that leads people to be willing to invest in that the same way they invest putting their children in other sports today. We just don't have any people who have thrown their kids into this, I think to the same degree as you have other parents, you know, who are, who you know, European parents. Or, or in places where F one has predominant, like historically been more more prominent, but I think now within the next couple of years, you could very well see young young drivers get pushed to the front.
1: I think it's only a matter of time now.
0: Yeah, I think totally agree.
1: So I, I can't remember the I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he's young. He's like maybe in Formula Four, I think, which is like the first open wheel racing you yeah. do developmentally. But he was in British karting. He's an American, he's got an African name, uh, and he's he's mixed, I can't remember his name, but he is, Zach Brown has like put this guy on in his Instagram account several times. He literally won his first race in Formula 4. And like, look, you know, I'm not going to be that guy that gets hype about some like 12-year-old, like everybody flirt, you know, everybody just,
0: wouldn't be everybody's the first time over, like, like,
1: Tiger Woods' son on Twitter, like, I think that's kind of gross.
0: Is he a little old, he's a little too old for you? <laughs> you're, you're a piece of shit.
1: All I'm saying is, there's, there's names out there. You just haven't heard of them. I think that if you put good American drivers... That's the thing, dude. Americans are from everywhere. We've got blood from literally every country, every ethnicity in the world. Absolutely. Surely, at one point, one of them, who's got some Italian in him, is going to find a British carding league, because he's got wealthy enough parents to ship him over there, and he's going to turn out to be an absolute rocket ship and he's going to win a world championship. It's going to happen at some point.
0: And my point is we don't need an American team for that to happen. What ha- what needed to happen was have the sport become prominent enough to get those people interested, to get their kid into it early enough to be able to compete against the kind of talent to develop to be ready. And that's already happening. And I don't think Team Andretti is going to accelerate that in any kind of more substantive ways. And I think by by that alone, you would draw more American fans to be hugely supportive of that one driver. And I, and I guess I just don't see the need for the team. If they join, that's great. I think it'll be interesting. We'll see how they go. I, I just don't think that's going to be the tipping point. I think the driver prominence is more important than, than the team prominence.
1: I think that's fair. Wow, Let's talk about that. the race.
0: Wow. All right. Um, have we beat that topic to death? I, I, think, I think maybe I so. Think thoroughly.
1: Um, Let's not go through team by team. Maybe just give me your quick reactions about the race itself. We haven't actually talked about it. Oh, before we go week. there. Well, before we go there, I just have to say, of all of my observations of being at the race in person, and again, you as you said, this is my first Grand Prix ever. I mean, I've never even this been to This is first a,
0: take. This is first take. We'll, we'll, we will have plenty more this
1: I don't think I've ever been to a NASCAR race. Nothing, and I mean nothing, prepares you for how fast these things go and how quickly they stop. It is un You you feel like you're looking at a UFO. It is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Okay. The only thing Race comparable reactions.
0: the only thing comparable might be you on a ski slope. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's fair. I had, I I was tearing you down a lot today. I felt like I, I needed to build you up a little bit. Um Man, I don't even remember. I don't even remember the race.
1: (laughs) What do you remember from the race? Okay, let's start there.
0: What do you remember?
1: (laughs) All right. Well, my high-level question is: Was it a boring race?
0: I think, relative to the the drama that we have seen, one at the end of last season and the beginning of this season, I think yes, it was a relatively boring race. Right? We didn't have late race. engine drama that switched up the front of the grid. Um, You know, we didn't have the the whole like dynamic nature of a rain race. So I think it was a, a, it was the first sort of typical race of the season, but for what it was, I thought the, the, the track design was very much validated. Now there were some complaints about the, the surfacing and is that still right? But I think overall, I thought the layout was great, particularly the, the complex of like the really slow, Sector two. Um, again, I think there were some complaints about exactly how that was designed. You could probably open it up a little bit, but I thought that slow section right into like the long back straight into the the shorter uh, start finish straight, which is where I think that's the the straight where Max passed Leclerc. I think just that led to such a good combination. Um, yep. And I think there was I think there was ample passing throughout. I thought there was plenty of good battles throughout. I thought. So yeah, I thought it was a great track purely from a, from a track perspective. And I thought it was a good balance between high speed and, and cornering as well that, you know, as we've seen the battle between Ferrari and, and Red Bull, you know, different strengths, um, you know, it was conducive to that as well. So I, I thought overall it was a, it was a good track.
1: Yeah, I thought we, uh, I, I agree. I think, Again, it's like, to your point, it was a boring race, relatively speaking, but we forget how quickly, you know, we for- quickly forget we're spoiled and have been, um, that, uh, that end of back straight kind of turn and then sweep into the home straight. That's right where I was sitting. Yeah. And so you could see people setting themselves up for like that kind of sneaky overtake on the, home, the short home straight, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah. You got a lot of people like late, like like Max when he took Leclerc. He like late breaks into the end of that of that straight, but he didn't intentionally dive in.
0: Exactly. And then he just got
1: a re- he got a really good exit, and then basically, yeah, all he needed was that short hump for him to get around him. So that was a cool spot to be.
0: Yeah, it was nice you didn't see him force it on that on that long straight, right? Yeah. Like you knew they could yeah, they could yeah. build up to that start finish, but then that one wasn't so long that it was always a guarantee. You know, I think you saw a number of times with other drivers where it, you, you couldn't quite get around because you. The setup wasn't perfect, right? Um, so yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I thought overall, in terms of just performances, um, I, I thought again you have to give Russell a ton of credit. Um, just he is doing absolutely everything right. I love seeing him sort of use the the late pit stop strategy, which Hamilton employed so effectively when he had the superior Mercedes um now to sort of for two weeks in a row uh pull ahead of pull ahead of hamilton so um love seeing botas at the front of the grid as well um unfortunately he, he cracked a little bit in the late race under pressure from from both hamilton and russell and let them by um you know signs had a good recovery weekend and, and held off perez albeit due to due to some sensor issues that that took a lot of horsepower away from Perez and and lastly Perez crushing it man he he has still been solid really consistent and i mean it's it's obviously early in the season but to talk about you know where where different drivers should be next year but i I don't know how you don't give him a drive again next year so
1: he has clearly come to sorts with that car he has got a level of consistency that is Exactly what Red Bull's looking for. I think without the power unit issues or the sensor issues, he's probably around signs. Um oh, he's easily P three. Yeah, yeah, and he 100%. should have been arguably anyway. He just Yeah. Arguably picked the wrong picked the wrong spot to try and overtake and obviously was getting a little bit frustrated in the car, but um
0: It was kind of nice to see him get a little, uh, get a little hot under the collar. Yeah. Yeah, I agree,
1: man. Yeah. He's
0: he's so always so well composed that, you know, it was nice to see him get heated.
1: He was the most represented single driver on the ground by far. Well,
0: hey, you know, going to the Mexico city race, I'm, I'm definitely getting a Checo hat.
1: Oh, that's going to be insane. Like absolutely, they ride so hard for him, and it's like it's like pat, it's like serious passion. I got like so much respect.
0: Love it, Um, yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, other race observations look like. uh, I think the other one of the other interesting storylines, obviously, aside from the top, the top teams, is um, the 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 relative performance of Albon against Latifi.
0: Crazy is.
1: It's just, it's starker than almost any pairing we've seen in F1 history. And I think any smart money would have been on Albon going into the season. But for Albon to have already scored the number of points that he has and be that far ahead in a car that is a total dumpster is pretty wild. It kind of makes me think Latifi might be seeing the writing on the wall. Actually, did you see this week that Nick DeFries is going to run FP1 in Barcelona?
0: Well, that's part for, of the for Williams. I mean, that's part of the the development effort within f one right and no I get, large- it, but
1: you, do you know how many other test drivers Williams has? They've got like four or five other test drivers,
0: yeah, but I, I mean, I think DeVries and piastri have, have lar you know have easily been like the the top two most talked about people so I I wouldn't read too much into that because i mean there's they're sort of mandated like races, right, where they're supposed to get a mandatory like practice session to help them sort of develop and get a feel for the car. But that aside, a lot of talk around Latifi being replaced mid-season. And I, you, you say the car is a dumpster fire. I don't think you really know that yet. Is, is the car really a dumpster fire and Albon's just really crushing it? Or is the car actually pretty good and Albon's doing a good job? Latifi just really sucks. I, admittedly, I don't think we truly know the answer to that yet. Um, I kind of hope it's Albon is absolutely crushing it and like out driving that car more than anybody could imagine. I have to think it's a little bit of, it's somewhere in the middle where the car is actually kind of decent. Albon's doing a really good job and Latifi still sucks.
1: If De Free, if DeFree shows up in FP1 in Barcelona and puts it in the top 10, like you're going to have your answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if he, even, if he even puts a time up that beats whatever time Latifi puts up in his practice session, that's enough. He doesn't have he's to put it a in the top ten. He has to put he has to match Latifi's time, and given the lack of time that he's had in the car, that that says all you need to know.
1: Yeah, but this dude isn't this dude isn't some seventeen year old Max Verstappen you're throwing in a seat who's just literally rolled off of a cart like this guy won Formula E, he won Formula Two, he's like twenty five or twenty six years old. I mean he he's not like that fresh. So I i wouldn't be surprised
0: and i'm not expecting him to i i would just say i don't even need him to to be p10 to to justify his seat right he needs to just put up a time that's as good as any time latifi puts up throughout practice which to your point i i don't see that as being wildly unrealistic yeah that's fair like especially a p1 session yeah it that would be truly, truly shocking. And, and I guess the, la- the counterpoint I want to make, too, to your point of the, the biggest driver disparity, I think, shockingly, the, the the smallest driver disparity that's pretty surprising at this point is, is Vettel and Stroll. I mean, I keep <laughs> expecting there to be things that are going to differentiate Stroll and Vettel at this point, and Vettel's going to have the weekend where he really, like, shows the separation from Stroll. And while there's little flashes here as like a better qualifying or a better practice session, it's not. Um, and as hard as we are on Stroll, probably aren't hard enough on Vettel. And, and seeing kind of, I don't know if how, how substantive the, you know, the headlines are, but this could very well be Vettel's last year. And it's, I would argue, that's probably for the best. It, it doesn't seem like the heart's the hearts in it anymore. agree or disagree. You're skeptical. You're a little bit of a Vettel fanboy, so, you know, I I like the reluctance. Yeah, I do too. I think he's a great personality on the grid.
1: But I like him because I don't think he cares at all about what you just said, even if it's true.
0: But I think that apathy extends beyond what, what I say.
1: It's not apathy. I don't think it's apathy. I think it's perspective. I think he... I think he has put Formula One in a in a place in his personal, you know, compass or his personal priorities where he's content with it to be what it is today, which is like they're not competitive and he's doing a lot of other stuff with his life. I honestly think he might just raise his hand and retire, I think, this year and be totally content with
0: it. Yeah, I, I, and I guess maybe we're maybe we're saying the same thing, and we're just associating it differently. Like, yes, has he put it into perspective? But for certain, but like Max has also, I think, when you hear about like how much does the championship mean to him, or how does his life change as being a champion, he still has a really good perspective as to no, my family, my friends mean way more than this. Yeah, yeah, if I win, that's great, right? Like you saw a lot of good, mature perspective, but he was Max still, is not a role model. He will still clear. smash your face. To to win a race, right? And I think I think yeah. great. He has perspective. You say he has perspective. I I I would characterize it as more apathetic about how well they actually do and how well he does in any weekend.
1: He knows enough about the sport to know that he's not going to win in that car. And he's and look, he's a lot different from Fernando Alonso in that point. Fernando Alonso is like, I don't care if you put me in the worst car in the grid. I'm going to go out there and try and rip your face off every weekend. And that's and the that's the way he's- I guess.
0: And you have to, if you're going to be one of 20 people, if you're going to be one of 20 people in the world doing the job, you need to have that mindset regardless of, of you know, your, your sort of transcendental awakening that you've had or the perspective that you put on it.
1: What I'm saying is I kind of respect the fact that he, Seb seems he knows he's on his way out. And so he's just going to wear his underwear on top of his fire suit and not give a shit what anybody thinks. Okay.
0: So thank you. And I, I think like- that's awesome. I think that is awesome. What I think is even more awesome is the fact that I seeing the glimmers of Hamilton start to step outside of his perfectly like crafted media persona to 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 be himself like as well. How in the I, my favorite part of the whole weekend was the FI, it was the driver press conference where Hamilton has like three watches and like 12 necklaces on just as like a, an FU to the FIA for their jewelry. Like I want to see more of that from Hamilton. And I, look, I get it why he hasn't done more of that in the past, right? He's much more scrutinized than other drivers on the grid. And, and he, he has a, a certain perspective that he's trying to like promote. And I support that. But as a Max Verstappen fan who loves the sort of don't give a fuck, like going to say what I want um, driver persona, I would love to see Hamilton do that more. Because you see glimmers of that, like where after Silverstone, Max kept, they kept getting asked about the crash and at a certain point, like Max says, like, why are we still talking about this shit? Like, let's move on. And then they ask like, Hamilton, anything else to say? And he'll sort of just point at Max and be like, nope, he he said it all. Like, I want to see Hamilton embrace like the, oh, the don't. candor a little. I want to see Hamilton embrace the candor. Your
1: bias is showing. How? This is like a like a like a Hamilton, like Max is your daddy type of vibe. No, no, of, no, like, no. I'm gonna I, defer to him in a press conference. No, Come you
0: on, see, man. no, not to defer, but the fact that Hamilton totally like agrees with the sentiment. He's just more restrained and and I think what what he's willing to say I mean you saw that in the past with things that Vettel would say other drivers or Hamilton just he thinks the same thing but doesn't say it I want him to start keep coming out and and being more vocal be more have more candor because I think my complaint with Hamilton has always been he's been so stoic and and seems so um a bit contrived that's like if, if him later in the career, the struggles that he has this season, a confrontation with the FIA like makes him step out a little bit more and be even more candid, I am all here for it. Like I want the I want the SEB version of Hamilton um to to come out as well. So I, I'm I'm interested to see how this all unfolds.
1: I don't disagree with that at all. I love when people are not up for re election. You get the best version of people in that case. And, and that Hamilton's applies in not. all contexts of life. Yeah, he's not up for re-election at so, all. So,
0: like, I want him to lean into that, I guess, is my my only point. There's no Max versus Hamilton yeah, yeah. thing. It was purely let him lean into, let him lean into that because I, I think he's freaking hilarious. Like, walking out there with three watches, he's like, maybe I'll wear four next time. I'm like, please, I hope he has them all up his whole arm. Hey,
1: man, it's part of the leadership standard at our company. Be candid. You know, I'm going to get measured on that tomorrow morning in my midyear when I'm told that I've been performing really poorly. It's going to be great. Well, um, I don't think
0: it's because of your lack of candor, to be honest. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, uh, all right, I want to ask a, a follow-up question on Mercedes, which is, and this is kind of a shift to a little bit of a week ahead uh, week look yeah. ahead as well. Um, what we're aware of is that Mercedes is firing their first big development bullet in Barcelona. New floor, new side pods, maybe a completely different era philosophy. We don't know. How much of a do-or-die week is this for them as a team in Barcelona?
0: Do or die for them. Um, I mean, I feel like it's well, it's partially influenced by, I guess, what they're trying to accomplish. As you teed it up, are they trying to go for a wholesale arrow philo- like a wholesale change in design philosophy? If so, yeah, I, I think at this point you need to nail it. I don't think there is enough time to. Do a wholesale change, get five more races of data, to then do another wholesale change that might not work. Now, if they're taking more incremental steps and they think the solutions, you know, uh, they have an idea of how to solve it and it isn't a wholesale change, I, I think you probably have more more flexibility. But in either case, I don't think I, I don't think they're going to move to the top of the grid right away anyway. And I think they're well clear of. A fourth place. And so I think they're kind of in this comfortable bubble where where all they have to do is make incremental steps forward to to get the right indication of how to improve. I, I don't, but if they try to make a big, a big splash and do something that is dramatically different and it goes wrong. I think that could be. I I think that could be negative for them because not because they couldn't revert and go back, but because they've already invested so much down this journey. But again, I I don't disagree more. Yeah,
1: I couldn't disagree more. Third place, if the question is do or die, third place for Mercedes is die. Like that's death. That's equal amounts of death as fifth place. And I get that's not true of the money payouts and the constructors' championship, but it's win or go home for them based on their tradition. I think if you, I, I think they have no choice but to fire a big bullet. If you don't, and Barcelona is historically a Mercedes track. I don't even know how many years in a row Lewis has, has I don't won think, there. Interestingly,
0: I don't think that whole like which track is whose anymore like I, even matters at this point.
1: Well, it, with the new cars, you're you're right about that. Yeah. But if they don't get it right at Barcelona, they're not going to learn anything in Monaco. Baku is a weird track. Another street circuit. Probably not going to learn much there. It's a bunch of slow corners with a bunch of straight line speed. That's going to be horrible for their car. And then Canada, which is like, ah, Canada's a weird track. We don't actually know a ton about it because the only thing I know about Canada is for what I've done on the F1 game, and I, I genuinely don't like it. And then the next opportunity you have to really test the legitimacy of your car is July 1st and 2nd in Silverstone. So by then, however far back you are in the constructors, is too far. And again, third for Mercedes is death. So I think it's complete do or die for them in Barcelona. If you can't prove that you, whatever, the, the, the bull case, the bear case is that they're screwed. They're not going to fix it. The bull case is that, the, that they basically got a caged tiger in that car. And if they can fix the porpoising, they're going to be on the pace of the lead teams. That's the bull case. And to me, if you can't... I mean, literally, dude, look at F, the FP two times from Russell in in Miami. They got that car into a window, somehow, with the tires. And he put in like a 129.5 lap and was at the top of the sheets. And they couldn't replicate it. And they had no idea why. Like, Sky Sports had their lead engineer, I can't remember the guy's name, on in the broadcasting end. And he was like, he's like, Tom, I'm genuinely not shitting you. We don't know how to explain what happened. We have to go figure it out.
0: I think that's the whole intrigue of this this season as a whole. Is yeah, there's there's so many elements both from the engine, from the aero package that, it like right, you hear a lot about like oh wow, Red Bull's faster on the straights, like Honda power, and it's like no no, I think they just have a better aero package and they still have an inferior engine, but they're able to run the car more efficiently, right? And so I think there's so many variables that you don't know right now. But I guess your point is, if they're not first in their mind, they're last. And so therefore they need the big step forward to all of a sudden be at the front of the grid. And if not, that's failure for them.
1: I I think that there's a twenty percent chance that they come with an era package that actually makes them genuinely a competitor with Ferrari and Red Bull. I'd say there's a twenty percent chance. I think there's a seventy per, I'm not gonna go as high as seventy. I think there's a sixty percent chance that Russell is genuinely faster than Hamilton.
0: I'm glad we're. I'm glad you've calibrated your totally made up probabilities more accurately. Um, so look, I, I, I think it's they have. They took such a different approach, and I think their porpoising is so bad that if they're able to make progress on that, yes, I, I, I think they could arguably make a big step forward. That being said, despite all of like the the rumors that somehow Red Bull's like chewed through so much of their development budget, which I think we've, we've come to know since recording our first iteration of this episode, that that's kind of bullshit. Um,
1: oh, it's all bullshit. Dude, both. I all mean, the- Red Bull's
0: Red Bull's going to do from what I hear, Red Bull's like pushing for another, like what, four um, kilogram weight reduction. So like, that's going to be huge from them from like the continued efficiency. Ferrari is supposed to be picking up a ton of speed based on, more like aero redesign, like floor redesign for them as well, potentially four-tenths, which makes me think like Ferrari could be taking a jump back again in front of Red Bull here as we go to Barcelona. I just don't think all of a sudden you're going to see such a dramatic change where now they're, they're driving for first place. I think best case for them is they're a few tenths off of pace still, but they've narrowed the gap to whichever car is second place. It's just, the the development is coming so quick, probably for all teams, but I do think the intrigue is, it's probably like, hey, you're able, how much development can you, how many early wins are there? And you're able to see the likes of Ferrari and Rebel doing well. Are there really quick things that you can pick up and take massive step forwards now versus, you know, at the tail end of a generation, like in the last years, like in the years we just came from? Yeah, probably. So I do think that the opportunity is there but the opportunity is similarly there for everyone else as well. So I don't know that there's some great secret that they're going to unlock more so than what Ferrari can as well. Because I think they're struggling with suboptimal aero as well, and they're probably going to take a big step forward on that with a better floor also. So, so yeah, I'm more skeptical of the, the massive leap. But I'm excited just to see how Ferrari launches forward because I think that could be, that could be huge. But you talked about Russell against... You talked about Russell versus Hamilton. Why Why your, Why the, the confidence that Russell's so much better than Hamilton?
1: It's maybe... I wouldn't characterize it that way. I just think that there was this default consensus going into the year that Hamilton was going to be better on pace just because of who he is. And um, I guess what I'm saying is, like, Hamilton's had bad luck, and he's gotten the bad end of race strategy basically all along. But... Throw all that aside, and I think they're pretty similar on pace at this stage. And I, genuinely, I'm not surprised. Um, I always go back to the the spa lap from Russell in the wet last year as my, I'm just like, every time somebody doubts it, I'm just, I literally just point at that. I'm like, that was, that, that, that. there's no way to explain that lap other than like, this guy's just got, he's gifted.
0: Yeah, so I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not ready to crown Russell as better than than Hamilton at the moment. But I've been impressed by how measured he's been, both through practices, qualifying, the race. Yeah. He has just been incredibly. In stride, con- dude. He's been incredibly consistent and high performing in every step, which is like exactly what Hamilton always did. And and so I, I haven't seen anything from Russell where he's going to have that bad race where all of a sudden hamilton's able to like close the gap and jump ahead like at this point he just has to maintain and he has a 20 point lead so i mean and he's he's also
1: not spiking the football in terms of celebrating the wins he seems to be about the team he's playing the team game
0: i gave him a little shit for that first like for that early race where he did well and he was like fuck yeah we didn't expect it i'm like all right like yeah the team guys in of you, but yes he hasn't exaggerated
1: that as his success has increased, so I think I think your early read was pretty misplaced if I'm honest
0: I was a little I think I was probably a little harsh and didn't let the man who's been sitting at the back of the grid sort of enjoy the limelight a little bit. so fair fair play.
1: Let him out of his cage. yeah, all right. Uh, I know we're not going to make it through every team, nor should we. I just want to make sure before we close. what should we expect from Barcelona? I feel like this is a, it's obviously a mainstay on the f one calendar. At times, I think it gets a little bit of a bad rap as a track. But what should we expect in, in general this coming weekend?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't checked the the weather lately. But, I mean, Barcelona is going to be a pretty pretty dry, sunny race, at least at this time of the year. Very low probability of rain. Um, I think relatively, again, balanced for both drivers. I mean, a lot of variation in the types of turns. Max speeds hit on different different straights. Um, so I think it'll be another good like middle of the road race, um, but I'm ultimately expecting Ferrari to do really well this weekend. Yeah. I would probably put them put them at the front.
1: You think Carlos gets a win or a podium? Oh, I've definitely put well. I you think, think he, uh, yeah on his home Grand Prix.
0: I think he gets a podium. Um, I hope he beats Leclerc and, and finally has that kind of confidence boost and and closes that gap a little bit. Leclerc has just been so solid man it's um
1: yeah unless unless he's driving Nicky Lauda's car around <laughs> Monaco yeah
0: yeah so you know look maybe that's a yeah, that might be in his head man maybe a little bit of a a little bit of a damaged ego
1: if you crashed a freaking historic a priceless vehicle like, priceless yeah. Ferrari would you would that be in your head to be in mine yeah, sure, the brakes failed.
0: Yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, look, I think all of them have to be pretty good at, at having something bad happen and, and moving past it quick. But, yeah, I mean, I think Ferrari's going to crush it. I think from what I've read about their improvements, that's going to make them take a huge step forward. I think Red Bull's weight reduction is probably for the positive as well. I'm not thinking Red Mercedes is going to ma- take a massive step, so I'm saying Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes this weekend. And... And I think you could see um, Alpha continue to, to perform really strongly as well. So they do seem like the the team that if uh, if Joe can sort of step up and get some points on the board as well, um, they have a chance to take it to, to McLaren. But McLaren has, has sort of been nice, like sort of steady middle of the road. I mean, obviously Norris got destroyed by, by Gasly this last race. But um, I, I think they're holding that fourth place pretty pretty well so yep again i think this will be a i think this will be kind of a, a standard standard race nothing nothing too dramatic in, in either direction a lot of runoff all over the place so you're probably not going to get um you know you could you, you could see an absence of a safety car this race finally and so you might not get the the massive switch up in the grid and like the strategy variable get thrown in like you've seen in basically every race this year um so yeah i I think you might get some more heat on barcelona for being a, a boring track again so
1: all right well to quickly push us towards conclusion maybe the way to wrap up here is give me one bold prediction for barcelona and i'll do the same
0: one bold prediction you
1: already have one in mind you have to give me a minute oh yeah yeah
0: what you got lead us off
1: aston martin Showing up with a B-spec car. Which basically means that they're completely throwing out the one they had before. Redesigning it. Floor, side pods, wings. Everything. I don't know who it's going to be. I hope it's not Stroll. But they're going to be in the top five.
0: As a team or as an individual driver? One
1: driver will place in the top five.
0: I was going to say bold that scroll was going to beat Vettel, but I wasn't going to go that far. Wow. Um, what is this based on, other than just pulling that out of a hat? Well, okay, what I'm aware of is that they're going to have
1: the, the largest amount of new specs on the car relative to anyone else. And so I'm just going on the dice roll. They're just going to get it right and take the biggest leap forward. And maybe there will be some chaos at the front of the grid. And maybe they'll sneak into the top five. All
0: right. All right. Um, I have absolutely no basis by which to to make this prediction. And this is purely driven on an aspiration and sort of a reversion to the mean philosophy. But I'm thinking this is a big week for, for AlphaTari. I think both Sonoda and Gasly have a have a strong performance and gasly sort of breaks out of the the slump that he's that he's in don't scoff at me like somehow my prediction relative to your stroll in fifth place prediction is absurd
1: i asked for a bold prediction you gave me a real basic bitch response (laughs) (laughs) i just needed to go out on
0: a limb Fuck it, latifi for
1: podium what do you think with the definition of a bold prediction i didn't say irrationality bold (laughs) prediction Anyway, all right. I mean,
0: Gasly hasn't hardly broken the top 10 this year. I feel like that's pretty bold to have him, you know. I, I would put Gasly Yeah, as, on
1: reliability and bad luck, but predominantly. Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know that crashing into Norris was bad luck. I don't think pass... Not, un, inability to pass... Inability to pass Albon for 50 laps.
1: He had, he had like, a freaking cracked rear axle because Alonso rear-ended him in the first... Second lap of the race. Like... He already had a damaged car before he hit Norris. I'm not saying that the thing with Norris wasn't his fault, but, like, the guy was already behind the eight ball by the time that happened. I mean... Alonzo plowed him,
0: like, on the opening lap of the race. Agreed, but that didn't mean mean he needed a Lance Stroll into Lando Norris. All right. Right? He also didn't... what What was his reason for not being able to pass Albon for 50 laps? All I'm saying is, Gasly, after consistently being in the top six, week in, week out, He's due.
1: I'm not going to waste my breath. This
0: feels like a very, this, you're right. This feels more of like a personal thing right now, Graham. And I'm sorry that you have such an animosity towards the French, but Gasly's due. That's going to happen. And this might not be bold enough for you, but um, just, just you wait. All right. Well, since neither of those things are going to happen, um, I think we could probably close it there. Graham, this was an awesome, awesome episode again. Uh, for round two, maybe even better than the first time we recorded it.
1: I am just going to close my eyes, cross my fingers that this audio file can
0: be found somewhere. Uh, so we'll see. Now the real issue is trying to edit this damn thing where we have over an hour and 40 minutes of content. So I am
1: not going to do that tonight. I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to eat some teriyaki chicken, and Ooh. I'm going to go straight to damn bed.
0: Hell yeah. All right, my friend. Pleasure right, as always. Always a
1: pleasure. See ya. See ya.